The Koigig part. For me, it's difficult because if Chelsea aren't playing well or they need something to get someone to get them out of it, I don't think they have it. So I think they're in a difficult place. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 I love, I love, I love my county, you know. We love Jamalad. It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and just let themselves express themselves. It's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. Welcome along to the Hurling Pod. Jake Morris becoming the first Tipperary player to score a hat-trick against Waterford in the league for some 58 years as the Premier secured their place in the semi-finals with a late flurry of goals on Saturday night. Kilkenny are well-placed to join the Premier in the last four after they continued their recent domination of Dublin. Cork were behind for 69 minutes against Wexford but managed to strike late to make it four wins in a row and they have now already taken top spot in Group A with the game to spare. Dimit Burns and Aaron Gallant returned in Limerick's 12-point win at Westmead. Galway recovered from going seven points down to see off Clare in Ennis and one goal in ten points from Conal Cunning helped Antrim defeat Leash by six points and with it Darren Gleeson's side have ensured their survival in Division 1 with a round of games to go James Cahill, Paul Murphy, how are we getting on lads? How are we lads? Very well, good Another week, Paul, of people talking about the league and the importance of it and managers being asked about the importance of it afterwards and we can read nothing into the league so far Ah, even if it's true do we not get slightly sick of this narrative at times yeah it's, I suppose when we're talking week on week about uh, this this narrative it does get a little bit tiring but I suppose Liam Cal came out and nailed his colours to the mast and said no it's important we want to win it uh, haven't won since 2008 is it yeah. he was saying Tipperary mm-hmm. so um, yeah I suppose when, when the only lads come out I think pretty much every other manager is kind of uh, throwing a bit of smoke screen out there and saying, oh, look, we're trying, fellas, and you know, we're looking at each week as it comes and so on. But um, yeah, look, it's contentious enough at the moment, but I suppose Liam Cal is just trying to focus on the job uh, in hand and probably keeping his own lads tuned into it as well. And probably genuinely does really want to go to a league final in a minute um, and, and see, see how the rest of the year progresses then. Well, that's a good jumping off point, Scal, because Waterford against Tipperary at Thurless Saturday night, we thought there was going to be a bit of importance to this because of both the nature of how important it was in Division 1B for the semi-finals, the way the Tipperary started the year, Waterford wants to have a good cut at it because they know they're going to be playing Tipperary there in a few weeks' time in the Championship again. Mm-hmm. And I thought that game had a little bit of championship feel about it, particularly when it went to battle in the second half. I know Tipperary finished strongly, but there was an intensity about that game at the weekend. Yeah, I think if you're to look at all the games that's been played in the league to date so far, it probably mirrors the championship feel uh, the most. You know, from, certainly from watching it live, I got that feeling um, that you know both teams were going hammer and tongs, tongs at it. There was two very strong sides put out. Both managers had both teams pumped up. The crowd were involved. And in fairness to James Owens, I'm a crit- critic of him at times, but it seemed he seemed to let the vast majority of the questionable you know, I would say tackles go. So it provided for a really good spectacle. And I think, you know, we were asking questions about Waterford um, last week about what they'd produce or where are they going. And in fairness to them, they put up a really good performance. And I know, obviously, everyone look at the, the three eight to six points finish after Jimmy Barron got sent off. But like, up to that point, they were right in it. It was a draw game. Jake Morris just got his, his second goal. So there was three points in it. Waterford had accounted themselves really well. 
And the fact that actually in the first three or four minutes in the second half, they had three goal chances, all wide. So they were right, right in it. They, they, they produced a good performance and there's loads of positives for them to look on, look back at. Um, and obviously the media, us, the neutral, everyone talk about Chip, everyone talk about Jake, Jake Morris's hat-trick and rightfully so. It's a, it's a great, a good achievement on his behalf. Um, but Waterford now I think will be pleasantly um, surprised with how they, they put up against the Chip one-stars, you could say, at home and, uh, and move into Championship nicely. You know what, Skell, you're a reformed character at this stage. There's now three or four weeks in a row that you've been backing referees. And here you are now again going, I've been critical of James Owens in the past, but good work last weekend. Yeah, but like, okay, okay, hold on now. I, 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 <laughs> Not I've quite reformed, crit- go on. I've been critical of him because he's, he's, he's had a couple of brain farts. Like, and, you know, some of the things he has done in the past have been, <laughs> have, to, have, warrant, have warranted criticism. But look, it's just because I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the bit of free flow into it. There was a couple of slaps here and there that I like to see let off. You know, and, you know, so credit to him. That's all I'm going to say about him. <laughs> we'll leave that hanging there. Um, <laughs> Paul Murphy, when it comes to this game, now at this size, Jake Morris got 5-5 in four games this year. Tipperary are banging in goals against <clears throat> everyone that they play against. Yeah. They've scored thir- an average of 33 points a game in the four fixtures so far. It is early in the year. It is Division 1B. But this Tipperary locomotive is moving, isn't it? It is, yeah. There's a nice bit of bite to, to Tipperary. And it's just one thing I was looking at him the other night. Like, even going out and quite clearly targeting Stephen Bennett as well. I mean, you can't say that there wasn't a bit of an agenda there to go and maybe see as he reacts. You know, obviously getting sent off in the first match of the league. Maybe they were going, lads, get under this fella's skin. Maybe put him off. See what you get out of it. He might swing back. Um, but they, they really, again, look, they, they know what they're about. If you look at the likes of, let's say, Stephen Bennett actually had a goal opportunity. The ball really well worked in the first half of 15 minutes in. But a bit of indecisiveness then when he got to goal, had a man out to his right. Was he going to go for a point? Was he going to pop it off? And then kind of just took the extra second too long, shut down by Tipperary. But if you look at Tipperary, they weren't doing that. Anytime they got a ball, it was a case of they're going through, popping it over the bar. If the goal was only when the goal opportunities came up, then they went right. We're going for goal here now, and we're clinical when they took it. So I think lots of teams will be looking at tip at the moment, going, "Okay, on paper they don't have huge depth potentially on the bench, but what they do have, they're maximising it. They're hurling really well. They're looking sharp, um, and you know they do have those danger players all over the pitch. And if you include the likes of Bonner Marandis, as and you know it's great to see even the likes of Bonner the other day getting involved and doing the things that he does, turning over these dirty possessions and making the ball stick. Like he's a player where there's lots of forward lines and lots of teams in the country are maybe missing that player that makes the ball stick when it goes in there. Or if a ball is won by the other team, the opposition defence, turning that ball over. And you just saw Bonner, I think he got one or two scores there the other night by turning it over, popping it, popping it over the bar. And then you have the likes of Jake Morris, who's like your typical goal threat forward. So... Um, Tip will be really happy I think their supporters will be happy as well because they're an exciting team at the moment to be watching and I think Liam Cal will be very happy where they are so look again touching back to what we said or what I said at the start he probably does want to go to a league final at this stage and just keep the momentum up um, they don't seem to be picking up huge injuries at the moment Callan going off alright yeah and a few niggles here and there but not compared to other teams really so yeah look Tipper Tipper going along really well now at the moment and I think they'll be happy to keep like you said keep the momentum up and keep playing games to keep building on what they're doing yeah even their injury profile very different to Waterford at the moment we'll probably touching that a few weeks out from Championship now in a moment but mm-hmm. um, Scott what I like about Tipperary though is they go very directly at goal and it feels a bit like a trade of a Liam Cattle team because in the way that Tipperary right now remind me of Waterford last year where Waterford when chances presented themselves I even think back at the league final last year they went really directly at Cork and went for goal when yeah. the opportunities were on 
this Tipperary team has been doing that consistently throughout the league as well yeah but I think to be honest I know it's easy for us to get sidelined by the goals but I, I'd be looking at, to see how the goals come about and like look Tipperary's formation is very interesting there was a, there was a puck out in the 38th minute to Tipperary in the game the last day and there was no forward they had, they had no forward inside the opposition's 45 they had everyone on the outside and the same so so basically when they, they hit it into like the 10-12 position or, or whatever and next thing they're all on the break so it's just there's bodies running straight at the opposition goal and it's very very hard to, to defend like it's probably called what you, what you call a scramble defence and the scramble defence for an opposition is is a nightmare because there's no structure to it whatsoever and it's the same when Watford had a puck out if you watch in the second half the high behind TG Carr which I love that view and, and mm. is uh, is the opposition again Tipperary had no forward inside the Watford 45 so they're essentially saying you know give it to your cornerbacks whatever because we've got every every other angle covered so the goals I think are coming for the way from the way their formation is is set up um, no, as far as I can gather now I'm open to correction here no other team is doing that everyone seems to be applying the orthodox two man for forward line and the orthodox kind of three full forward three half forward for opposition puck outs with hurls in the air etc but tips seem to have just come out way out and entice the team to puck it long and then attack on a, nearly like a counter attack if you know what I mean and if you think back to the way Watford were running last year particularly in the league final um, it's got savage it's got traits about it so that that seems to be a Liam Cahill trait Murph how do you deal with that if you're a corner back then and next thing on the puck out you see the guys have all withdrawn back in the way the scale has just explained like do you just hold your position do you get tempted to come out a little bit how do you defend against that like any team is just trying to impose their structure on the other team so if if for example if Tipperary are going to sit off Washford and leave the cornerbacks for saying basically they're saying give the ball to the full back line because we don't care give it to them Watford kind of you're, you kind of have to go and do it then to a certain extent you know you do have to try and draw Tipperary back onto you so if you what you then have to do is effectively move the ball out of defence so give it to your full back for example then the, the, the cornerback go run and then to take the ball off the full back and basically you're saying to the to the Tipperary lads we can do it this way now it's important for, for the Watford to actually be able to move that ball out move it to the half back line and then make Tipperary step back up onto them. So, you know, we, we saw good examples maybe two years ago when Limerick played Cork in the Gaelic grounds and Limerick absolutely destroyed Cork because they stood off him a little bit and then as soon as they gave the ball to the full back line, they ran up on him and really squeezed them hard, which if you're not prepared for that, it can panic can creep in, in in a back line. I do think Watford actually have the players to go and run the ball out. Um, if, if that is what, let's say, for example, Tipperary are going to do, make them run the ball out. But teams at the moment have to be able to do both. You have to be able to go along and you have to be able to go, OK, we feel the opposition are sitting back here a small bit. We're now going to have to work it out through the lines. And very few of the top teams at the moment, I would actually say none of the top teams at the moment aren't able to do that. So like they all are able to mix it that way simply because they have to. If you can point to a team that's not in, let's say, the top eight or so, one of the traits they probably have is that they're not able to do that. They're not able to effectively move the ball out from the full back line. So if if Tipperary are doing that to Watford, Watford actually kind of have to go and call their bluff and go, yeah, grand, we're going to take the ball and we're going to run the ball out and thereby force Tipperary to come back up on them. As soon as they come back up, you're now going to start targeting your half forward line again, hopefully, if that, that, that would be the plan. 
Yeah, because like Stella, we talked a few weeks ago about how good Tipperary have been at turning teams over. We saw that particularly in the Kilkenny game at Nolan Park where they had outstripped the numbers they were doing in all of the championship in the previous three years with the turnovers that they were getting. So obviously this is an effective tactic that Tipperary are using right now. I just wonder if it comes to playing Limerick or a team who are particularly comfortable at working the ball out from defence, do they still go with the same tactic against Limerick where potentially their two cornerbacks could just take a one-two and go past you? Yeah, well, I just think it's very interesting because, like, so no team has been able to break down tip at the minute. Um, obviously, they've only come, they've, it's, it's, it's the league format, and the the tips game plan or their formation is new to opposition. So I'd say there's teams like the, the Limericks and Clare, who's first up for tip in the championship, uh, are assessing this and will come up with a plan. Murphy's dead right um, in the sense that, like, you have to you have to you have to commit. You either go with them or you don't. Like, and it was interesting that Waterford went with them the last day. They just they bit into Tipperary's formation and they became the receivers, <laughs> if you like, you know, of the punishment. But against Limerick, I I struggle to see Limerick doing anything bar their own game. You know, Limerick are, are the type of team who have ultra, ultra confidence in their own formation, their own setup, their own game plan and the clientele they have and I don't see them kind of succumbing to an opposition formation and trying to work around them because Limerick as, we, as we've said previously they are probably about five or six years on the go at this baller tension this type of game Murph is on about where you see you know we don't know who get a short sharp book out and hands it off to Declan Hannon they've just mastered that and so other teams are trying to catch up and, and, and I suppose nullify that that effect but I just I, th- I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how it matches up because Tipperary, the more games that go on, the better they will get, the more confidence they'll get. They have a license given to certain players to go where they, where they want, i.e. Bonner. You know, Bonner ends up in his full back line more, more times than once, you could say. So they just, they, just, they just seem to have a very free-flowing formation. And if teams are free-flowing and not, I suppose, limited to a certain position, that's hard for opposition to, to monitor. That's why we always see Hegarty, Hayes, Morrissey popping up in positions that they don't not necessarily as, is, is relevant to the number on their back you know so that'll be a good showdown Well Murph when it comes to the number on the back Desi Hutchinson was hurling nowhere near the inside forward line at the weekend he's been withdrawn in a couple of these games a bit further back I don't know I mean does this work well to get him back further or would the argument not be that Desi Hutchinson is one of the most effective inside forwards in the country his runs make it very difficult to mark him and surely you would want Desi Hutchinson to be closer to goal than where Davy's playing him right now yeah, I completely agree. I think Desi Hutchinson, the closer you have him to goal and even having a starting point being somewhere on the 14 right in front of goal and coming onto balls in space, like we saw him for Walford over the last few years, we've seen him for Ballygunner. You know, once you get the ball in his hand, he kind of decides then he's so adept at just, you know, changing his balance, shifting, going left or right, where is he going to go? Defenders, even the best defenders in the country at the moment, have found it so hard to try and stick with him and he was scoring at will for a long time there and the idea like you don't have many of those players in the, in, in any team you know there's very few we're, we're talking about a handful of players in the country that really have that skill of creating that extra yard of space for them a handful for any defender Daisy Hutchinson is one of them so I'd say by bringing him away from goal you're playing into the hands of the opposition team and it seems to me that Davies' plan more circles around his team than what he actually has sorry his formation than who he has in his team you know if if, if I had a formation that I really wanted to play I'd be going right well this is the way I want to play but at the same time I have to make sure X, Y and Z happens in that Desi Hutchinson stays close to goal I have Austin Gleeson involved in quite a bit of the play and let's say I've tied the burka sitting and dictating to everybody where they're going to go and sweep them but there's your kind of platform but Dizzy Hutchinson being away from goal, he's not a player I'd have in my head that's saying I need him out from the middle of the field. No, you need him right in around the goal, preoccupying a full back line because they'll be so 
you know, preoccupied with him, conscious that he's in around here and he's a real goal threat, that that'll also free up a bit of space or out around the half forward line for the rest of your players. So uh, maybe it was just something they were trying out. I don't know, but I can see it being a real viable thing for Watford going forward. If they have any plan, like if, if Watford are to go down the other end and start scoring goals, Dizzy Hutchinson is at the forefront of that. So I think, you know, Davey may have to really look at the plan here and say, okay, this may be my formation, but regardless what happens, Dizzy's in at the box and, you know, joined by whoever, but he, he has to be in there. But it's yeah, not the same, Murph, as having Jake Morris now at the minute in that, that Dizzy Hutchinson position. Like exactly. you're taking, you're taking yeah. away 5-5. Five, five. Exactly, yeah. If, I, if, you're an, if you're an opposition goalkeeper and looking at Jesse Hutchinson off around the 45, he's not going to score two goals. He's going to score two points, maybe three. No, you're, no, exactly. Yeah, you're putting more running under his belt and you're Let asking him more. <laughs> Let him off out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Let him out there. Let, if yeah. he wants to pop over a few points, grand. But like, if you take away Jake Morris's goals from the weekend and when they happened as well, like, you know, more so I'd say when they happened because it killed Watford really and yeah. the floodgates kind of opened towards the end. But it was the fact that he was a menace in and around there and you were giving him the freedom to actually go and drift and, and find that space. Um, but yeah no I, th- I think like, and like the physical nature of a half forward line in midfield is way higher than at, at the moment that we've seen a full forward line yeah so you're, you're, you're yeah. putting Desi into, into some heavy hits as and, well. and he's not the big, he's not the, you know, the most physical player he's, he's a physically you know he's a great athlete and he's you know obviously very fit but you know you're sending him out there to run into the middle of William O'Donoghue or these boys and it's yeah. it's not that's not where you want your goal poacher no, and, and like Waterford be happy enough the way the scores came elsewhere in the team. Like Caleb Lyons coming up to get uh, four points in the half back line. Jack yeah. Prendergast went into the forward line where you would have expected Desi Hutchinson to be at times, and he got three points. So they're sharing the load around a bit. But the only thing is, Kel, do they start to get concerned about Stephen Bennett not scoring from play? Because that's eight frees again for him at the weekend. He hasn't scored from play in the league so far this year. That's a big worry because he, he was their marquee player last year and like if you're, like his production has to be high for Watford to be competitive, let alone to win. So if his production's not high, you have to couple that with, with Desi Hutchinson and we just said trying to pop up with a goal or trying to pop it up with three or four points. So if, you, if, if you're looking at a player of his calibre and the thing is, like, he's well capable of it. It's in his locker. So if he's not producing for the team, there's something not right. I don't know, is it the balance of the team? Is it positioning? Is it mental? Is it fatigued? There are so many questions you could ask as to why he's not producing the goods at the moment. Um, like you'd hope, obviously, for his sake, when the ground dries up, the ball gets faster, he gets a bit fitter, etc., etc. And uh, I suppose Watford's game plan, if you like, is can be centred more around him, that he gets kind of in, into his, his stride a bit. But at the moment, signs are kind of a touch worrying because if you haven't scored from play after all these rounds against... Some of the teams, with respect, you know, that's a concern. Yeah. It, it, look, it wet the appetite, the match, just in a general sense for the Munster Championship coming up and these two teams meeting again because, Murph, at the end of the game, we had the little kind of finger wag coming across from Davy Fitz, bit of a smile and a laugh from Liam Cal, and then the two guys looking back at each other. If you're cr- creating a promo video, you've got the clips already ahead of that game in a few weeks' time. The problem Waterford are probably going to have are the injuries now at this stage. So Kylie's been out since the Fitzgibbon. Austin Leeson went off hamstring issue. No idea about how long he's going to be out for. Davy Fitz said possibly a couple of weeks. Connor Prunty came off injured as a precaution. Daryl Lyons has been injured. Connor Gleeson has been injured. I know Waterford have got a good panel of players and we were talking about how strong their panel was this time last year. But that's a lot of key players who are probably going to miss the first two rounds of Munster here. Yeah, a lot of key players. And, you know, I, I put Waterford in the category of just... 
not really sure what they're about at the moment, what style they're playing. It's hard to see their structure. Like, I mean, there's been a lot of uncertainty through teams and through this league so far, but you can point to a lot of teams and try and see what they're trying to do at this stage. You kind of know what they're trying, you know where they're going to play players. But Watford seem to be a little bit scattered at the moment and the injuries aren't helping. You know, we spoke about Austin Thiessen starting at the weekend and we saw maybe 20, 25 minutes again, not his fault, a hamstring injury. But we didn't learn a whole lot really about Watford either. And if you turn it back 12 months to Watford this time last year, flying it, and you could really see what they're about. And they were attacking the channels and they had savage energy and they were getting great scores. And you were finding it hard to pick the starting 15 for Watford. Whereas now at the moment, it just, for me anyway, when I look at Watford, I don't really know what they're going to look like when they come to championship. I don't know what the team is going to look like. Uh, I, I can't really figure out like I thought as well their defence against Tipperary I even think about Tipperary's few games they probably hit teams at the right time as well that's not to take away from Tipperary's performances but each each game that I look at with Tipperary each defence was kind of flat and Watford were flat the other night in that once Tipperary broke past the half back line or one of the members of the half back line they were nearly kind of straight through to have a pop over the bar or create a goal chance Watford were like that the other night and if they don't have depth or are even kind of showing a bit of depth in their defence at this stage. That, that to me kind of says there's a few indicators there that they're taking a little bit longer than other teams to implement their own game plan, to really see what they're about. And even touching about Stephen Bennett and maybe even Desi Hutchinson, like maybe Stephen Bennett's thing is that the system, maybe he doesn't even understand the system that they're trying to play yet. And that's why he can't get into games. He can't, you know, isn't as influential. Maybe similarly enough to Desi Hutchinson. I think there might be something there at the moment with Watford where whatever system Davey's trying to implement, it either just hasn't, I suppose, uh, been taken up fully yet by the players. You know, maybe there's lads who still don't understand the system, but there's it's very disjointed at the moment. So those injuries won't help anything because Davey will want to get those players to play just, you know, particularly even for the last round, get up and play a good match against Kilkenny and be, and be ready for a championship. But I just don't see it at the moment. And there'll be a little bit of concern there for Watford facing into what'll be a serious battle in Munster that they haven't really put huge shape in it yet. Scale, how much of a concern are the red cards at this stage? Because again, you mentioned after Jamie Byrne went off, it gave Tipperary the initiative within the game. And then yeah. the last 15 minutes particularly, they just ran away with it after Waterford got down to 14 men. This becomes a recurring issue for Waterford because they're losing the player a game now. Yeah, like there's types of red cards that aren't, I suppose, they're they're low on the severity. That you can, like the two yellow cards maybe for for awkward tackles, you know, a necessary foul if you want to call it, or, or black card. That's okay with me. But the straight reds is obviously it's an indication of, an, of a serious discipline issue. And Jimmy Barron is not the type of person or player that we that would you know we'd be accustomed with getting sent off. So that's a big that's a big loss to Waterford. Um, Obviously, it's the, it's the league, etc., and he'll, he'll be back right for the championship. But it is a concern, and I don't know—is it—is that bred from, you know, is it—is it frustration? Is it—is it the opposition getting in their heads? You know, are they mentally not up to the level where they should be, whereby they're not getting embroiled in these kind of you know, issues or incidents? Um, but it seems like Waterford have been getting three. I'm up to correction as well now. Three guys sent off every league, league campaign. I think that I, I'd say I'd be accurate enough on that. You know, or even championship, and it is a concern. Like, and, and I just wonder as well. I know I'm, I'm going to move away from a red card for a moment, but I was going to throw it actually. And I've just written down here. There's obviously a couple of teams that have a whole host of injuries, and I wonder is it, is it a managers panicking a bit that they're overloading their their players? So I've written down Wexford, Watford, and and I won't even say Galway to a certain degree, but they look like teams that have been heavily loaded, and they're getting injured. So I'm wondering is is it a mix of trying to get up to a championship pace in March? 
or is it team or is it managers that are trying to overload the block of training because there's an element of concern because the pack are, because there's a degree of separation coming for the rest of the pack you know what I mean yeah are a lot of teams overloading at the moment Murph do you reckon I mean obviously we're not inside these camps so we don't know mm. exactly what trend they're doing but pretty much everything that you hear ah there was very hard training there last week this is about now tapering off and getting ready for the championship you, you talk about you know we were talking last week about the weather warm weather training camps and maybe some cold weather training camps for some of the teams who went away in Ireland last week but clearly there is a it would seem to me a very heavy load of training going on across most panels at the moment yeah, it seems to be. And some teams in particular look a little bit more leggy, I suppose, for want of a better term, than other teams. And even something I noticed, it was actually the Wexford lads against Cork. You know, there was quite a lot of lads taped up in different areas, lads coming off the bench. And you could just see, like Conor McDonald, I don't know what he had on his leg like, but that was seemed like a quite a fairly significant uh, bandage he had in his leg. But you see with lots of teams, um, they seem to be going through heavy loads. But then there's 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 counties that seem to be managing it quite well and don't have as much of a of of, of an injury list as well. Now look I've played league games before, league uh, tournaments before where um you just had this bad run of injuries. You know, you just seemed to be week on week, you picked up a few and it was hard to put your finger on it. And it could have just been a coincidence that players picked up. But certainly with quite a few teams across this league, they do look leggy. They're carrying quite a good few injuries. And because it's considering there's nothing else going on at the moment, that it's not, you know, counties have doubled up with club championships or anything. It's only inter-county. So they can only be taking the injuries from there. It, it, it does warrant the argument that I'd say a good few counties are really pushing hard at the moment. And you'd wonder, are they burning the candle at both ends? You know, if you were really busting it hard during the week, lifting heavy weights, training hard right up to Friday night, yeah. and you go out and train hurl on the Sunday. And like, you know, regardless, we, we talk about it several times here where if a player goes out on a Sunday and they have a jersey on their back, even let's say the Saturday night, they know, geez, I'm feeling tired here now, I'm feeling leggy. And I might be. Once the whistle is blown on Sunday, you can't hold them back. They'll go as hard as they possibly can. And that's where the injuries creep in then. It's very hard. So they, they nearly need to be held back. And we do see some players that are being held back that they're not playing. And I even see a few with Kilkenny myself that, you know, a few lads, a few lads were asking about Huey Lawler and Mikey Butler and these lads. They weren't part of the panel at the weekend. And Kilkenny were obviously just holding these lads back because they maybe saw something where they're like, listen, there's no panic here now. You know, we have a panel for a reason. Yeah. But certainly there's a good few counties that you're looking at them going, your injury list is significant at this stage and you'd be a little bit worried coming into championship if you're carrying all those injuries because it's going to be on top of it, on, on top of us before we know it. And a four-week injury now is, you know, well, six weeks is detrimental, but four weeks is a serious problem. But you notice the type of injuries as well, lads. It's, it's not like a broken hand from a hurl. It's not a dislocated shoulder. You know, it's not a, a torn ACL. They're all hamstrings, groins, calves. You know I mean? So yeah. I remember when we... Um, a few years ago, I, I, I could be open and correction the date now, it could be 16 or 17, when we did an awful lot of gym work, let's say, over November, December, January, and returned to the pitch, I think we lost about seven or eight lads to groin injuries in the mm. first couple of weeks of a shot. And it was obviously that we were probably transitioning from the gym, heavy loads in the gym, then going to a pitch, going 100 mile on a pitch, and next thing the body breaks down. So I just, it has that feel of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereby I know we got the better of it in the sense that we had to build blocks in layers, you know, like the foundations put them in and then get going towards. But it seems to me the teams have just gone in 100 miles an hour straight, straight away and they're getting these soft tissue injuries and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, there's, I, that's something to watch, I think, for going forward because it's too close to championship now, whether we like it or not, for teams to be mm. still doing these blocks. And it'd be a pity if, if, if any team did rule themselves out for the sake of 
not playing a bit more acute, to be honest. You know, as in use that panel, if you're a few of your key players have played three or four matches now and they're also doing all the work they're meant to be doing, well, maybe pull them back. And, you know, particularly lads in their early 30s because it does make a difference. That bit of recovery time does make a huge What's difference. Your, so, Cahamani, Murph. Look, Cahamani. Yeah. Cahamani yeah. didn't train 100% the, day, the week before the Cork game. Mm. But then he played because on against Cork and, and, you know, ham, hamstring on again. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. No, it's not worth having him out for a couple of months for the sake of a league game. Oh. Jeez, no. Well, Scale, you can give us an insight then potentially to what's happened in Dublin because Jackie Tyrrell was saying last night that he reckons Dublin were a team when he was watching them at Nolan Park yesterday looked particularly leggy and looked particularly tired looking and he reckons Emil O'Donoghue possibly has them in a very heavy block of training now. You've just said 16-17, you guys were coming off a fairly heavy load going onto the pitch. Is that possibly what's happening with Dublin right now? Well, I just think part of the mantra that I suppose the management team up there would have, and obviously being exposed to it the past, is we need to do more and go harder than opposition. Mm. And I'd say there's, 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 there was quite, at the end of last year, there was a significant gap between Dublin and probably the top two or three. And I'd say they probably are overloading. They are heading away in a couple of weeks' time to a training camp where they do another block. I'd say they've wrote off the league now at this stage, just if they want to finish out stronger, right, for positioning sense, positioning reasons, but... I, I, I know that they're they're going hard. <laughs> they're going hard. They're putting miles on the legs and they're getting a million touches every training session. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, I would say Jackie is right. There's a lot going on in Dublin at the moment in terms of, of load. That brings us around very nicely, Murph, onto talking about Kilkenny against Dublin because we talked last week about the fact that Kilkenny handed out a couple of beatings to Dublin last year and particularly in the Leinster Championship. It was a, a complete bullying exercise it seemed yesterday from the outside, and you can comment on maybe how leggy Dublin looked or didn't look, this looked like a pretty comprehensive victory for Kilkenny. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, you know, I saw Jackie's comments just saying about uh, that, that Dublin looked leggy. I didn't really see that myself, but I did see Dublin, um, again, just the decision-making and the sloppiness, and they were, they were given Kilkenny opportunities, because Kilkenny, you could see from the start, really, were looking to, you know, they were proactive. Their forwards were going hounding the Dublin lads, trying to turn over the ball at the earliest opportunity. They certainly weren't sitting back off them, you know. And But Dublin were kind of feeding into that. They tried to play the ball too many times. Also then, when a lad was taking the ball, he was taking it flat-footed. He wasn't moving. He wasn't trying to run. So there was quite a lot of static play out of the Dublin team. When you, con- you contrast that with Kilkenny, Kilkenny had great movement about their play. You know, any time Kilkenny got a ball, particularly at the start of the match, they settled really well into it in that got a ball out towards the sideline, you know, and thinking of one of the scores, I think Billy Drennan got the ball out of the sideline, looks back in, pops it into Paddy Mullen, who's 30 yards out straight in front of the goal, over the bar, Kilkenny reset, and they were getting scores from everywhere, like, I mean, there was, I think Tommy Walsh even got a point there, he was playing cornerback, Parik Walsh as well got a point from cornerback, like, there was lads coming up and taking their shots, so they had a really good spread of scores, but, um, like, Kilkenny have seemed to, I suppose they focused from what appears anyway, on, again, being a bit more decisive in front of goal, which they weren't against Tipperary. You know, they played the ball one too many times and just keeping the scoreboard moving. Billy Drennan was just everywhere, which is, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen Billy Drennan play yet, he, for young players anyway, I definitely keep an eye on him and see what it means to time your run when the ball is going to break. He sits out and when the ball is about to land on top of two players, he times his run perfectly. So when that ball breaks, he's in on top of it and he's gone. He doesn't catch it, you know, standing two feet flat. He's gone, creates the space. And he's, I think he missed one free yesterday, five from play, you know, and we're talking about teams who are looking to have this 
free taker who was just popping them over all day, you know, and and Billy Drennan's there with TJ to come back, you know. So Kilkenny were really impressive. Um, they got a nice few lads on the pitch. Owen Murphy came off just before half time with what appeared to be a bit of a mild concussion as well. So um Connor Delaney, a full back, was played really well, and that's with Huey Lawler to come back as well. So look, from Dublin's point of view, again, they continued the, the I suppose the the trait of taking shots from bad angles. Their first score they got right in front of the goal on the 45, and I thought, right. Dublin have worked on this and then straight away probably the next three or four came from the left the left sideline out at the 45 standing leaning back and I was just going well for a Kilkenny sport I was saying happy days don't mind that today maybe rectify it another day but from a Dublin point of view it's it's this trait again of not shooting from a bad angle they popped over one or two from the bad angles which probably didn't do many favours because you know they weren't it wasn't any alarm bells ringing to say stop doing this you know but no, Dublin have a good bit to work on. Um, they didn't use, I don't, don't think they maximised the test either. They didn't take a whole lot from the game. The Kenny kept them at arm's length at all stage and I think it even went out to about 15 points at one stage. So, um, look, Kilkenny will be happy with the win but Dublin seemed to have a nice bit of work to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scala, we were talking about Kilkenny's inefficiency in front of goal against Tip a few weeks back. No wides in the first half from Kilkenny. Just the one missed free as mentioned by Murphy and Billy Drennan all day. So they get 17 points from 17 attacks and they're 17-8 up at half time, which was the platform for the victory. Owen Cody scores a couple of goals then in the second half to put that little bit of gloss on things. Mm-hmm. But that's really impressive. Like if you're a management team, I'm sure you're delighted if your players are getting themselves into good positions to shoot and then executing every time in front of goal. Yeah, I think we see we, like the, when you see a player in a good position, it's obviously a good decision. So like they've, they've thought well about where they're where they're shooting from how they how they work into these spaces and like shooting probably is not an element of the game that you're working very hard on at the moment it's probably you know it's dropped in every every session every now and then I say but in terms of putting real minutes and real time into shooting I don't think an awful lot has happened at the moment and when you consider you know conditions that like the sun wasn't shining the, the pitch wasn't dry you know it's fine but so in the month of March to be, to be hitting 17 or 17 is impressive like and if you if you do what Kilkenny did so what Murphy's on about there in, in terms of Dublin every time they move out and go wider the degree of difficulty increases and the, the, the efficiency goes down while Kilkenny are then are moving into good spaces and they always seem to find runners and there's a man in a good spot of space whereby the shot becomes much easier the easier the shot the more efficiency it's, it's, it's quite simple you could say and it's just it, it, it signifies to me a team you know, a team that's, work, that's working well that's in unison that things things are, are kind of on, on the you know, the same same playing field with regards to Dublin there's an awful lot of there's an individual feel about it it's like if a leg gets the ball he's to go and take on his man and turn and twist and then pop it over his shoulder it just feels like he's kind of on his own somewhat and maybe that's just because there's probably teething issues with the new management team trying to implement their own game plan etc and we might see over time as I've said before I always judge new management teams in year two as opposed to year one because they, they need the respect of it to be given time but uh, Kilkenny, are, they're, they're going about their business quietly. Obviously, after the Tipperary game, there was probably a, a degree of disappointment uh, locally. Um, but again, it's in reality. It's league, it's March. And I think uh, come Championship, Kilkenny are going to, be, they're going to be a hard team to, to get over, for sure. Yeah, and that one individual player, Murph, is Donald Burke for Dublin. And again, he pops over 11 points. They score 117. The support isn't there around him right now. And this is becoming a weekly issue for them. We can enjoy the wonderful scores that Donald Burke is getting and the great form that he's in. But without supporting that forward line, it's going to be difficult for Dublin to win games this year. It is, yeah. And, you know, we spoke last week about who would Kilkenny go and manmark Donald Burke. And I don't think Kilkenny did actually even put anyone on him to manmark because he was keeping an eye for it. But Kilkenny were happy enough that they probably believed in their own structure that, lads, anybody can mark Donald Burke here, stick to him. Now, he still came away with 11 oh. points. But 
it seemed to be a kind of a side note. You know, it seemed to be kind of Donald Burke would pop up every so often. He, unfortunately for him, he seemed to be the, the, the sole conductor that was just popping up, getting a score. But when Donald Burke was getting one score and Kilkenny were knocking over three scores, it kind of became a bit of a side note as to there was no need to go and mark one person when for every one score he gets, we're popping over three or four, you know. Um, but... Look again, it, yeah, it, it's just this thing of we talk about Tipperary, we see Jake Morris and these lads stepping up and they have a few they have a few options. The Clares, the Galways, you know, they have a few options. Dublin don't seem to have that option at the moment. Like Owen O'Donnell was excellent at full back and he I think I don't know that they take him off yesterday, but he came up, he drove right up the pitch as far as the twenty one, caught the ball three times and the free out and went down straight away with, with Camp yeah. and McCraft. Like he he was he was just wrote off from expending himself from such a deep position in the full back line and I was kind of looking at him going he was flawless really you know great performance but between himself and Donald Burke there wasn't a whole lot of support to that um, quite a lot of players just kind of drifted in and out of the game um, and I think that you know the likes of Eamon Dillon of course now not there anymore Eamon Dillon was always a great goal threat for Dublin you're kind of looking around that Dublin team now at the moment going where is this goal threat going to come from now we need lads to start putting their hands up and it's something Michal Dunne will be looking at to say look we can't have one player going out every week scoring level points you look at Billy Drennan he scored 13 but it kind of it, it, it kind of heightens it a bit more when you have other players around you also popping up with two, yeah. three goals and one Cody popping up with two, two. Dublin don't have that, so you can't expect one player to even if he consistently goes out and scores eleven points every week. It's not going to be enough for you. Yeah, the other game that had championship feel about it, and I was wondering how I was going to watch this in the iPlayer yesterday. It turned out it was on GA Go, so I was able to watch it there too. Uh, they were showing the BBC coverage to that. Was Antrim beating Leash, and Antrim have stayed up now, uh, which is crucial for them as they get ready to face into the Leinster Championship this year. Uh, they know they've got Division One hurling to look forward to next season, and they rooked it out against Leash in the end. Um, Leash were ahead for large stages of the first half. Antrim got it back to manageable at half time. Colin Cunning again was incredible. Like when you've got a free taker who's as consistent as he is, he put over nine frees in the sixty-five, finished up at one ten. Neil McManus and Nigel Elliott also chipping in with goals in the second half. And Antrim got themselves kind of four or five points out in the second half and never relinquished that lead again. And in the end, it ended up six points after a considerable period of extra time where Leash were trying to uh, create goal chances, but Antrim weren't letting them pass. Uh, big crowd at Corrigan Park who were cheering them over the line to get the result as well. This game had a championship feel as well about it, Skell. Now, I know you were predicting last week that Antrim would get over Leash, but significant result for the Antrim hurlers yesterday. I wasn't sure. At one stage, it was one ten to one five. You know, and that, that leash was they were moving pretty nicely, but again, Antrim, uh, they just they just seemed like a different team. You know, in, in Corrigan Park, that when they have home back in, and the conditions weren't exactly hectic up there either with wind and rain, but they just showed the wheel and they attacked with woeful pace. Like even their first goal, like there was there was runners coming from all sides. If you look at the goal again, there was three split passes or hand pass, hand pass, hand pass, and it was he was through. It was it was top draw stuff to be fair. And like you mentioned about Colin Cunning on the free taking, like. Free, free taking is obviously it's imperative and to have a good free taker is, is of vital importance but if you have a guy who you can he stands over the ball and you know he's going to score a point it's such a positive uplift to the team whereas you, if, you, if you have a free taker where you're like I'm not sure he's going to score this it actually where you might have built momentum and, and did, a, did a great turnover or whatever and you know secure possession forwards and won a free everything, everyone's on a high and next thing you miss, you miss it, it just, it's a dampener to a team. So like when you've got a free taker who is really dependable, that's of huge importance to a team. And like, especially with the likes of Antrim who are playing a running game at the moment and there will be you know, a lot of avenues for fouls. 
and so if you know you're, you're hitting 10 points you know 11 points a game automatically with your free taker it's huge and like mm. you know credit to them uh, because I, I've often I was chatting with one of my friends recently about um, about uh, Conor Cooney from Thomas's and we're looking at what he scored in the Galway Championship and we're looking at, at, at like he's, he's obviously just scored some play and scored some frees but ultimately when I looked down at his, his stats he was averaging about 10 points a game with about 8 frees so you know straight away they're starting with eight points. <laughs> That's what they have straight away. So you've got to turn that over. So like when you've got the Corlin Cunnings, TJ Reeds, Conor Coons, etc. Like it's just huge importance. So credit to Antrim. We thought they'd win. They did it and they move on. Yeah, I reckon it's well worth having a look on Twitter if you weren't watching the game yesterday. GA Performance Process have got a video up about Antrim's running game and the fact it was always a support runner on both sides of the guy who was running. And we saw that bit, Murph, when Antrim ran at Dublin a few weeks ago at Parnell Park where they had a rush of goal chances in the second half of that game uh, when their running was incredibly effective. I'm looking forward to the Leinster Championship. That's going to be a difficult trait, particularly they will be eyeing up, I think, Westmeath and Dublin as potential shocks when they play them. Yeah, absolutely. And if they're doing it against these teams and doing it consistently, they'll have great belief in in that uh, game or that style of play. And there was one of the clips I just saw yesterday. Like we, we spoke when Antrim played Dublin about Paddy Burke. I think he popped up with two points against Kilkenny. He was the same again. He made his runs. And I just saw a video. It was obviously at the Kilkenny match and I was following Antrim and Leash on Twitter. And there was a video of him at left corner forward after popping the ball over. I think it put Antrim up by six points. Uh, and he was actually captain yesterday, I think, as well. But I was just going, I said, Jesus, that's savage work at that stage of the game to be getting up there. And it just showed the intent as well of Antrim that, you know, they realised what was on the line. They were in Corrigan Park. The pressure was on them. And we spoke last week saying that, you know, these are the games they should be targeting to go out and win, that it's in your backyard, go and win it. And they did it, and they did it with great style. And what, what I liked about it as well was that they did it in such a way that... Antrim fans were able to enjoy it you know the performance was so good they scored some great scores and like you said you could see what they were about they had a great style a great way about them, a great bit of vigour the Antrim crowd had something to cheer about um, in, in, in the win that they got um, again tough on Leash but look at Leash were there last year Leash got a great win down below in, in, in Port Leash as well so for Antrim it was great and even if I saw Twitter yesterday evening just afterwards there was a fair bit of outpouring from, from the Antrim crowd as well just kind of saying like the likes of Neil McManus and these lads and Conan Cunning you know richly deserved just the effort they've put in over the years kind of have I suppose a bit of a day in the sun yesterday with, with that performance um, like they'll take a huge amount of that going forward now for, for the rest of the year don't lie, Murph. The reason that you got excited when you saw that BBC clip of Paddy Burke on the overlap, you went, I picked him as one of my underrated hurlers. I picked a cornerback. Here he is delivering again. Anytime I see a cornerback running up and a video clip of him scoring, I just Photoshop my own head onto it and say, Jesus, lovely. That'll be me now. But, uh, ah, yeah, see, we're a lonely club, the cornerback club. We all like to support each other. I have um, a little note here, right, in my little notepad. And I, I have actually, I said I'd do it at the start of the year. How many times will Murph mention Mikey Butler? I've only Murph, mentioned him injured. You're currently, on, you're currently on four at the minute, right? So, four, am I? are currently on four mentions. I reckon, and he's only played one match. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon by the time we get to the Jesus, yeah, I reckon by the time we get to the end of the show, this could be 50. 50. <laughs> Oh, definitely. By the time we get to championship, I'll blow past that. <laughs> I'm not even making a promise on that one. Carl Beck, I have, like, I have it here, Mikey Butley, four. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Jeez, I may start something here now. Make it something for you. You may get your sheet ready, Scale, around here the time pages we talk about Tony pages. Kelly in a few minutes. <laughs> 
because he might just come up again. Uh, Leash then have to play Westmead. We know that is going to be the relegation playoff after Leash's defeat. Aaron Dunphy at 1-4 from play. Uh, got their goal in the first half. Piggy Mara scoring, sending over seven points. Uh, Ryan Milani very much now playing in the half forwards, but he went off injured during the game. Uh, they've got a few injured players coming back in. Willie Dunphy, their captain, was able to come on in the second half. He had a really good goal chance. I'd say you'd enjoy, Skell, if you look at the BBC clip of the save made by the Antrim goalkeeper from Willie Dunphy, was yeah. really good because he'd gone yeah. to one side, yeah, Dunphy decided to go on the near side and he had to readjust at the last second. Yeah, but he went high, like Elliot's <laughs> left-handed hurler. I've, I've been screaming with this. He went high up to his right shoulder, perfect for Elliot. Mm. Go down low to your bottom shoulder and you can't shift your body. It's goal. So that's, the, that's the advice. He should have shot across goal low. He should have shot. So Elliot went, went across, okay, because he's left-handed, the easiest move for him is to go up that way. That's yeah. the easiest move. The hardest move for him is to get his body down the way. You know what I mean? So if, 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 if your man shoots low to that side, it's a goal. So... You know, I've, I've been telling them. I've been telling them. <laughs> they won't listen. Look at Jake Morris the last day. Yeah. yeah. Look at Jake Morris. Look at the way he finished the ball. Because it was just, there was no stopping those, you know. Mm. It's a complete side scale, but we were, I think, talking about this off air before we came on. We were waiting for Murph to get a Zoom sorted. Was that you've got a certain amount of the Lark Horbits about Morris in, in loads of different ways. And that's got the same helmet. He's got a very similar style of wearing his socks. He's got the same type of grip. And he's got that kind of same uh, variety of shots that Lara would have had as well. I'm not directly comparing the two, but there's a bit of something about this. Sorry, my, my brain just automatically drifted the socks up. Why do lads wear socks up? Maybe he's cold. <laughs> why? Like, why do lads wear socks up? There's four you- lads I look at socks up and I wonder why. Why? No, preference here. Just that's what they like. And three of them are left-handers. I don't know, there's something in that. No, <laughs> might be a bit more to that, yeah. Yeah, Wheelo, TJ and, and Jake Morris have socks up. Yeah, that's a good point. Who's the fourth? Seamus Flanagan. All right, yeah. Do not know, I can't understand it. But anyways, maybe it's... Anyway. Maybe it's Is but the point uh, not sorry. to be a good hurler to wear the socks up then? That's a fair point. There's like the soccer lads who wear the small shin pads and the half socks. you got to be good to pull off that look. That means a pure look kind of job. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Sorry. And you go on, you were going to make a very important Jake Morris. about Morris' Jake shooting. Morris. He is, yeah. So I was saying about Jake Morris in the sense that like, he's probably, he's of the age, obviously, where he's grown up watching Dark Corbett and probably mirrored his game off him. Striking similarities, as we said, moves very well. He's kind of very elegant in the way he moves. His shooting is fantastic. He's deceptively powerful, um, which I don't think people will appreciate, that he got a couple of shots past Billy Nolan the last day that were, you know, from a distance like he wasn't exactly in within five yards but he generates more power on the shot against the ground that, you, that you'd expect um, a great trait in the forward to be honest and he's just he's moving well he's, he's, he's fastly becoming one of Tip's marquee forwards like we expected of him is he doing it probably a bit later than we expected it's fair he's got a couple of years but he's coming good now at the minute hmm. The games this weekend then in Division 1B before we switch back over to 1A. You've got Antrim and Tipperary at Corrigan Park. So Tipperary are already qualified. Antrim, no, they're not in the relegation playoff. Dublin play against Leash. Dublin can't qualify. Leash, no, they're in the relegation playoff. But the game that has stakes is Kilkenny against Waterford. This is at Nolan Park because of the works that are on in Waterford. So Waterford had to cough up a home game in the league because of the remedial works as well. That's a 145 start. The pity about this one, Murph, it's not on TV. You can watch it on the TG Carr app or you can watch it on the TG Carr player. But no hurling on the TV this weekend. And this is the game that sticks out like a sore thumb with effectively a place in the semi-finals on the line for the winner of this one. 
Yeah, and it's really the one, like you said, that's sticking out that, okay, there's something on the line here. You know, there could be a nice bit of cut to this one. And if you were to show one game, this would be it. But obviously showing no games on telly is a bit of a, I know it's a bit of a sting for the, for the hurling community. But yeah, look, definitely I thought this was a no-brainer. Um, you know, Kilkenny, a draw will do Kilkenny in this game. They'll be going for the win. But you'd like to think that Watford are going to come at him and hopefully try and turn them over and maybe, you know, take a bit of confidence from it and whatever else they can. So um, it's lining up to be hopefully a good match, but a pity you're, you're going to have to watch it. I think it's on the TG4 app or else go to the game or the only two ways you're going to see it. Mm. Skell, do you think Waterford can get a result to go through to the semi-finals here? Because again, Derek Ling has given every indication that he's going to go strong this week. He said That's because of the nature of their panel, he'd love an extra game or an extra two games. TJ was talking last week about the fact he might play against Waterford this coming week. So maybe we get to see his return Kilkenny are going to go at this. They are, but Waterford are now going to be some Prunty, Gleeson, Lines. Jimmy Barron's obviously going to serve a suspension. suspension yeah. So they're missing big players. You know, and like, if they had kind of the same starting team against Tipperary going out to Kilkenny, I'd say, yeah, there's a chance. There's a chance that, that Waterford do a number here. Um, but at the minute, there's obviously still a chance. It's sport. There's still a chance, but their chances are, I won't say diminished, but they've gone down. And I think Kenya just Kenya on a good run. They've they've had a nice couple of games, and I'd say the facts in Northern Park two continuation of last week. Um, I'm probably looking at a four to five point victory for Kenya. But Skell, this would make for some nice semi-finals if it plays out as we kind of expect. So we know Cork are going to finish top of one A. We can debate in a minute about whether there might be a shock with Wexford beating Limerick, which would open the door for Galway or Clare to qualify. But say if Limerick yeah. beat Wexford and Limerick go through, I can't Lim- see it. Limerick versus yeah. Tip. Cork against Kilkenny repeat the semi-final from last year in that case they'd be two pretty nice semi-finals the week after yeah, that'd be saucy yeah that'd be saucy <laughs> the Limerick, I, your attention turns to Limerick and tip straight away for obvious reasons isn't it mm. two teams that seem to be at the height of the powers at the moment um, and Kilkenny then with the, with the old the old enemy as, as Murph does always say uh, <clears throat> off air he can't stand Cork so <laughs> he just yeah forever at home he says to us he hates Cork so um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, another dicey one. But what it is is, will it's it's four teams that are in form, you know, and and they're deserving to be to be in the semi-finals. And again, if you're to ask someone to call them, like neutrals, they're, they're difficult games to call, which is what we want. Yeah, Murph Cork coming through in the end. They beat Wexford two fourteen to eighteen points. There's a few different stories coming out of this one, but one of the main ones would be. The Cork go a full 20 minutes without scoring early in the game. I couldn't believe it when I flicked the TV over because I was watching mm. the rugby and at halftime of the rugby <gasps> I just flicked over to see what was happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I wanted to see if Ireland were going to win the Six Nations so I flicked back <laughs> uh, to see what was happening to Porky Cueve. I couldn't believe my eyes. I think there was like 22 minutes gone and Cork had one point and they're going, what has happened here? Because all expectations mm. were that Cork were going to go through a Wexford team who played very poorly against Clare the week before. No scores from play for 25 minutes. They have to bring in some of their key players as the game goes on. But in the end, it took them 69 minutes to actually wrestle themselves in front of a Wexford team who had played quite well up to that point. And Cork just about found a way to win. I don't know whether that's Corkness or whether maybe Wexford were a little bit hard done by not to get more from the game. Probably a little bit of both. Like, uh, you know, when I turned turn this game on, similar to you, I was looking at the scoreboard going, what's happening here? And Wexford just kept tipping over a few points. Like you said, first score from a free after 20 minutes. I think Barrett then got the first score from play after 24 minutes. Terrible game, brutal. Now, the conditions weren't great either, which, you know, obviously counts for a bit. But, you know, Wexford looked leggy. They looked tired. 
shipped another few injuries again during the game. Dermot O'Keefe seems to take a fairly big dead leg just close enough to the end of the game. Um, Cork again just Cork looks so flat as if they expected exactly what Wexford did against Clare it's like they expected that Wexford to turn up where you know reason would would indicate that at least Wexford there'd be a little bit of kick in them and they'd come at it and throw a few things Lee Chin certainly made a difference um, just a bit of freedom about him where he'd be able to get the ball in his hand he had the extra second look around and bring players into the game and then if that wasn't done he was popping over a few scores so you could see that obviously the old guard Matthew Hanlon as well driving out from defence it was the old guard that were doing it for Wexford. But Cork, Cork just looked like that they weren't really ready for this game. Um, and obviously just looked, they had a small bit more, I suppose, lads to bring in off the bench, a bit more quality that they were able to eke out the victory in the end. But it was a poor game in general. I don't think either team will take a huge amount from it. Like Darren Egan now will be happy that... Um, that at least they responded. They almost got a victory. I mean, it's looked nearly a nearly victory isn't any good to them, but nevertheless, they put in a good performance. And a few lads like Mikey Dwyer coming off the bench and had a good impact as well. Like, and you know, Wexford went at them, but you know, it was a really poor game to watch now. And uh, I don't think there's a lot of positives either team will really take from it. I know some people are saying at the moment, look, Cork, I suppose the mentality to go and win a really close match. I saw Lee and Chidi saying it last night, but it wasn't a close match in the true sense, it was two kind of teams that were struggling to get any sort of traction really in the game and Cork just about had enough quality to, to see him out over the finish line Yeah because I'm not sure scale how Wexford should feel come out of this because again just to look at the injuries so during the game we already mentioned Matthew Hanlon came in played an important role because Liam Ryan is out so O'Hanlon had to drop back in closer to the square and had a good game but then you've got Liam Ogue McGovern goes off Damien Reck goes off Conor McDonald who already was strapped up goes off. Dio O'Keefe was effectively limping around the pitch for the last few minutes to kind of stay on, to just even give them a target up in the forward line. But very clear that he'd picked up a leg injury. So who knows how long they're going to be out for. At least Foley and Chin came back in. As mentioned, Chin played quite well. So their issues for Wexford to deal with coming into Championship with maybe more knocks picked up. On the other hand, with these kind of first-choice players being back in, Wexford looked a different animal and it was a big response after conceding 6.25 just before yeah. the break to Clare yeah I think the, the manner of injury probably <clears throat> I think there's nothing too long term from what I know um, so like Egan would obviously be happy to get you know minutes into those players um, obviously disappointed that they picked up an injury of sorts and hopefully that's a recuperating time um, he'd be delighted with the way Lee Chin performed in the, in the sense as Murphy said exactly I was using the same word myself he played an element of freedom he was a focal point for them um, a real leader you could say and he popped up with his average nine points. I just I looked up yesterday, like he had scored 159 in seven championship games last year, an average of nine points. What's his score yesterday? Nine more points again. So like he's like that. The more we said about the couple of guys earlier, you're really guaranteed to get that out of him. I just think Egan will probably look back at the game, and it's the game Wexford lost, lads. Like because look at the two goals. Mm. Um, the first the first goal is a save by the keeper worked out to Higgins at at kind of on the the seven wing. He delivers from way too deep, right down top of six. Ball is pumped in, goal. You know, that's just, like, it's a school by error on his behalf. Like, he should have carried it 10 yards further and put it out over the opposition half-back line. Second goal is a long free. Like, that should be back spread and butter. You do not let yeah. that, that go in and it ends up in the net. You know what I mean? There's not enough cover there. You look at those two goals and go, that's an opportunity lost. But again, at the same time, you can probably point to it as a positive work on. You know, they didn't get opened. They weren't opened at any stage like they were against Clare. There was two errors, unforced errors that they can probably deal with, they can fix, they can work on, as I said, in training and move forward. So there's, there's, there's positives and negatives, but the negative side is obviously that the errors they committed, 
results in a loss so like so it's a big issue so in terms of getting minutes into the younger players it's fabulous but they have to learn the hard way sometimes this is this is one of the, the hard losses for them and Murph sometimes it's it's recurring issues that have to be fixed and in this case so many times ball gets dropped in on that Wexford full back line and they have problems defending them and again it was a case of Cork almost bundling the goal uh, to get themselves the win in the end we saw last year when Clare pumped in ball in Wexford high ball was a problem for them who were trying to defend it like this isn't a yesterday problem yeah. No, it's not. It's not. And um, they did, did very little in the difference with the two goals. I mean, Seamus Harnady for the second one went up to catch it. Only for as a greasy ball, he probably would have caught it, which in itself is criminal that, you know, a, a full forward would be allowed to go up and catch a ball inside in your own 16 when you have so many defenders around. But then even when it broke, the next person that got to it again was Seamus Harnady, able to kick it out to the side. And that was enough just to take it out into the bit of space to pull on it. And like, there's a few things there. You know, it's not even a case of losing the ball in the air. It's there's two or three things in that sequence and then the more than scale highlighted there yeah. it, look like, it looks like to me there was no call first of all no multiple lads went up yeah that's, that's, yeah. that's rule number one multiple yeah. lads going up in the square is not good one man up clear the place yeah, exactly. Everyone else didn't set up. So that, that's what it looks like. Sorry to yeah. No, no, you're dead right. And, and that's, that's even the case as well, where multiple lads go up. That means you have less lads on the ground waiting for that break. Like one lad go up, if he wins it, happy days. If not, let's say even if the opposition win it, at least there's lads on the ground then surrounding Seamus Harnady if he comes down with it. If the ball breaks, you have lads stamping on that ball. Just like, you know, especially use the pitch to your advantage. Stand on the ball, make Sean Clear throw it in on the 21 and, you know, get it away from danger, worst case scenario. So there's a few things there. You can call it a bit of it is down to skill, but a bit of, down, a bit of it is also down to, you know, just general basic rules of defending. And particularly at that stage of the game where you know it's 68 minutes around the clock, Cork are going for a goal here. They have to go for a goal. So you're just thinking, lads, get this ball out to the side, get it away, slow the game down, do whatever we have to do. And the conditions will actually be in our favour there. So it is a trade wheel. You're dead right. Um, and something that Wexford won't be happy with. They have enough problems to deal with as it is, but you know they won't be happy with giving away cheap goals like that. And you know, like you said, they could have came away with a win, but because of these few mistakes, you know, they're they're licking their wounds again. Mm-hmm. Scal, you were down in Porky Cueve with the Galway Miners. Yeah. This was it your first trip down there? Uh, no, it was probably third or fourth. Uh, with the Miners, yes, sorry, excuse me. Yeah. It, is, it is my first trip down there with the Miners. Um, How did you find the facility, given we've talked so much about the expense uh, going up and up and up and up from it? It is top drawer on fairness, lads. Mm. Like, mm. It, it is a real professional stadium. Like, it wouldn't be like, a miss in a Premiership soccer team. It's, it's, it's that good. And in, in fairness to Cork, I have to say... They ran it really well. They ran it really professionally. They seemed to schedule to all the teams to, to, to outlining what the three games were because the Cork played Wexford in the 20 in a challenge game after us and before the senior game, obviously. Um, it was down to the minutes. Both came in. You know, the stand. It was nice for the young lads to you know, experience that kind of level of professionalism, I suppose, in the stadium. The stadium is top drawer, really clean, tidy. It looks really impressive. Pitch was in, pitch was in good nick now when we were there. And I'd say probably more, more people around the conditions and it just probably that was the third game. So probably the pitch did get a bit heavy and it was, mm. it was raining in Cork a bit. But um, yeah, look, top drawer facility, although probably there is a couple of million lost there somewhere. <laughs> but again, they've got a facility for life now. And really, it's a facility of envy. I'm looking at it as a Galway man and I'm saying, geez, we'd love to have the facility up here. But unfortunately, don't. 
I was trying to wind Skehl up in the WhatsApp group yesterday when Clare found themselves at one stage eight points to one up early on in the uh-huh. game. The game was on the TV and I was saying, well, what are we going to drop Galway in the uh, power <laughs> rankings this week? And next thing I kind of saw Skehl coming back when it was a point at half time and I thought, maybe Clare have missed the chance. And as it worked out, Galway won the second half and came through 124 yeah. to 22 points in the end. Uh, it, this is an important win for Galway. I mean, it might not result in going into a semi-final, but we mentioned last week they hadn't won an end. I think it was 14 years since they'd won their last time and they rocked it? it out yeah was, it was 2009 I actually I was yeah. playing that day yeah and What's this is a result that long and this was a result that they rocked out scale in the end and I don't know I mean when you find yourself 8 points to 1 down still have a bit of work to do in the game and uh, Galway got it done in the end yeah I, I couldn't work out really. was it a fast start by Clare or a slow, slow start by Galway you know I, w- I would say it was a very generous start that Galway afforded Clare but it was and Clare had loads of time and space in the first 20 minutes Unreal. and then and it, it was riddled errors like, and yeah. Galway had the same type of pattern that they had against Limerick where they were poking ball down to the opposition or our full forward line under no real under no real advantage you know all the Clare missing was the Barry Nash type person because if there was they'd have cleaned up and gone 15 points up but uh, Galway just stuck with it and you know it was an awful loose game you know, even watching it live it was very, very loose it was, like very few rooks materialised very few big hits and heavy tackles and you know, turnovers were, were really relevant and or prevalent should I say and just go just, they grounded out and it was, it was a nice victory you know, it wasn't played at 100 mile an hour pace um, I'd say we, we probably broke them down through sheer persistence and you know inside running went, went very well and then Conor Whelan with the goal like he did what even what Murphy was mentioned about Billy Drennan time in his run puck out comes so Whelan just doesn't doesn't go up at all and cocks in the back and it's it's, it's a green flag you know so it's that bit of quality that separated the teams and I think Galway did very well they didn't apply anyone specifically onto Tony Kelly or John Connell or these lads and they just as a collective they did well they got Dahi work back in they got Brian Cannon started Conor Whelan started so I'd say positive like it's a good 7 out of 10 performance going forward fairness mm-hmm. Get your pen ready and your notebook because I'm going to mention Mikey Butler here. So if I go in the Mikey Butler uh, column as well. But uh, last time that Tony Kelly was as quiet in a game. Now, he had an incredible assist in the game, which is probably one of the moments of the weekend. But since being marked by Mikey Butler, Tony Kelly didn't score yesterday. Now, mm. some of that's down to the freeze, and we mentioned that's a, a benefit for Clare in the longer term. The fact that in McCarthy, they've got a very good free taker that takes the pressure off Tony Kelly. But Tony Kelly didn't score. Mm. It feels a long time since we've ever said that about a game that he played for Clare Murphy. Yeah, and in particular how loose the game was, as Skettle was saying, like it was a f- fairly wide open at times game where puckouts were going straight down to your own player. He, he turned, have a look and pop it over the bar. And if, if you were to say before the game that those were go- going to be the terms the game was played on for a vast majority, you're saying Tony Kelly's going to come out here with 18 or 20 points at that rate. But... Yeah, a bit of a strange one. Don't know, is there a huge one to read into it? But it certainly is something to be looked at going forward because it's not something we associate with Tony Kelly. Even in the closest of games, he seems to just 12 points. You know, he could very easily pop up 12 points from play. You know, remarkable stuff. So in a game that, like I said, it was playing in terms that not a lot of hard tackles put in. There was lads kind of standing off each other. There wasn't a huge amount of tackling. There was, it feeded in and out of the game. You would have thought these elements would have would have kind of lined up for Tony Kelly to really rack up a score. But yeah, a bit of a strange one. But I think that maybe typifies the game yesterday. It was a little bit of a strange feel to it. You know, kind of a training session feel. Galway will be happy with the win. They'll take away, like we said, last week I said Clare probably win by two points. 
um, being a really close match. But Galway will be happy they went down and whatever player they face, they face. They can't control that and they came away with the victory. But there was a few things you'd point in again going, that's not going to happen from championship. And I, again, I wouldn't be too worried if I was Brian Lowe and saying Tony Kelly came away. But certainly, even from seeing him in Wexford Park when he was given that space against Wexford, you know, he absolutely thrives on it. So maybe uh, <clears throat> maybe unusual one. I don't want to mention the other fellow's name now because it'll be marked up for a score in Skettle's book. But, uh, Do it. Might be the Mikey Butler effect, is it? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Five. Give it a quick. <laughs> well, Ser- serious question to ask. Go on. I, I don't know, maybe just, it just occurred to me yesterday. Is there a bit of concern in Clare, do you reckon? Are they an energy-based team? That if, if the crowds, if, if they're all pumped up and energy's high and things are rolling well for them, that they, they thrive. And if, if a team manages to nullify that, mm. they sink. I, I thought it seemed very unusual the atmosphere in, in, in Ennis um, yesterday like it was quite it was quiet really like you know even when scores were going over it was kind of just clapped and it, but you associate Ennis with being like a bit of a cauldron where Absolutely. the crowd are yeah completely behind it so maybe it was just one of those days whatever the, it must have been a full moon or something that it just things were <laughs> off I don't know what it is but when I was watching it I was going that's not what you associate with Ennis Jesus there's times there when you watch a game in Ennis and there's flares going off up on the on the hill there or whatever <laughs> you know it's a rapturous kind of a, a atmosphere down there but everything just seemed flat yesterday and I do I would agree with you Skell I do think that the players do feed off that they are energy based and maybe they do rely on the crowd getting behind them and that belief then gets the wheels in motion but Everywhere yesterday, even in the sands, it was very flat. Yeah, because we were we were associate that type of uh, team persona with Waterford back in the day. Mm. Like they're they're an energy based team. They they have a fierce connection with their crowd, and the connection grew stronger when you know the pace of the game picked up and Dan was popping balls and John Lance. So a target for them was to nullify that and kind of sever the connection between crowd. And if he, if he did that, it's work. And yeah. I just I don't know. It's creeping into me. Now, obviously, look as I keep saying, it's early, but I have to just this. It's just. Coming into my gut now at the minute, I begin to think the clear energy based and that can be got at that way. Hmm. One seventeen from your forward line scale for Galway yesterday. That's a plus. Nice, nice, yeah, and a lot, like an awful lot from play. And Conor Cooney back with the, the shooting boots back on again. Again, one of them players that can just shoot in really tight spaces. Like he doesn't need an awful lot of bodily movement, uh, you know, to, to generate power into a strike. He can just stand on one foot and wrist it over. So him getting back to form is important kind of reeling driving at, at defences is, is hugely important Brian Cannon the same way and there's a bit of energy now like Kevin Cooney who would be a guy who would be on the scene for a while in and out kind of on squads and teams etc and it, it looks like he's beginning to grow under Shefflin's tutelage at the minute so he's a guy that, that again when the sod dries up and it gets into the bigger the bigger pitches in the Thurlis's and the, the Crow Parks hopefully that he'll He'll, he'll grow more into that kind of starting role um, so there's, there's positives there's certainly positives and good to see Dave Burke get back Ronan Bennett get back Dahi Burke was impressive between fullback and centre back himself and GMAC were at Lincoln so it looks like we're, they're beginning to kind of get the wheels in motion if I put it that way yeah. and again as I said earlier a positive result for Galway yeah Murph I'll give you the word on Dahi Burke because he gets two points in the end he bashes out with the ball in his kind of classic style at different times during the game uh, McInerney can drop back if he goes forward I wonder how that 3-6 dynamic is going to work as the year goes on. Who plays three and who plays six? Yeah, and we spoke about Tipperary, was it last week or two weeks ago, talking about, you know, will Amara be there? Will will um, uh, Ronan Mara be there? Um, maybe, maybe again, Galway will look at something like that because, you know, McInerney is a savage man to run forward. He's like a train when he goes through. And we've actually seen him pop up at scores. And, you know, granted, it might have been against Offaly or Westmead a few years ago, but he got a great goal where he just straight up the middle like a train. Murph, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Mac is 6'4". Mm. He's 104 kilos. 
Yeah. And when do you ever see him caught? Oh yeah, it, yeah. Defies, it defies logic. Mm. He's a machine, like yeah, know. he he's a great straight and a great burst of pace, you For know. Real. And and even Dahi Burke, see Dahi Burke is huge hurling as well. That's the thing. So and he's very comfortable, you know. You never see Dahi Burke hurling a bad game, and he's well able to get in the ball. Popped up with two scores, and he just drifts in, pops over a ball, very calm about what he does. So if there is a if there's an opportunity there to swap those two lads around, depending on who you're playing and what type of style you want to play. It's a great, it's a great dynamic to have, and if both players understand that, that that's potential that may happen in a certain game. Like I mean, if you have Dahi Burke in full back, for example, and you, you, he's maybe being quiet, there's a full forward in on him of a given day where maybe there's not a whole lot of hurling going on. The opportunity to switch him out maybe to the half back line where you know he's going to get on, get on ball. He's a great engine. We'll be happy to pop up even with a score. If the, if you know if Henry has that option there. It's great to see him experimenting with it. And we've we've seen great dynamics down through the years through great teams where you have lads swapping in and out between 14 and 11. And then maybe a little bit more rare where lads will swap between three and six. But both of those lads, you know, McInerney's hurled there several times now during the league at full yeah. back. Looks comfortable, looks strong. So yeah. I'd have no fear of either of them swapping in and out. And it's it's, it's a great little uh, tool to have in Henry Sheffield's bag. Like Dahi plays midfield for his club. Mm, yeah. And obviously he played midfield for Carl Finn in the football. Yeah. So like yeah. him going forward is nothing new. No, yeah, nothing else. No. So, and it's 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 kind of a I wouldn't call it a strength. At least it's a nice little tool in your armor to have them the ability to be able to change three and six because the, the way forward lines move nowadays. So it's it's yeah. uh, you know again a good showing. And are we getting to the point, Scal, before we move off Galway and Clare here, where Henry's got a fairly firm idea, it seems, of what he wants his half-back line to be? I don't know whether Joseph Cooney stays there when everyone's fit, but at the moment he seems to be part of what looked a pretty good half-back line yesterday. Yeah, I think possibly yes. Yeah, I, I thought he'd give more time to Tiernan Killeen who came on yesterday with the yellow helmet. I thought he'd, he'd probably go back to wing back and free up Joseph to go forward. But it seems like he's beginning to set himself into you know a settled team. We probably won't be able to read much more into it because of the Westmead game. He probably will try out some more of his panel members. Um, but I think he settled on his spine. Ninety-five uh, percent there. I think he settled on probably you know a lot of his forwards etc but in terms of the half back line he's got two out of three for sure but the third I still have a question mark over very good right well that's where Galway and Clare are at this point Limerick are in pole position Murph to qualify as the second team they should really beat Wexford this coming weekend Um, they went up to TG Cusick Park to play against Westmead yesterday they got time into Dermot Burns who popped over a couple of points uh, one of his trademark long range frees and a 65 Aaron Galan came on uh, didn't get to feel a huge amount of the ball when he did come on but he did score a point when uh, the chance came for him so those two have now got a bit of game time into their legs Tom Morrissey again has shown that he's very good on the frees uh, particularly the ones that are a bit closer to goal he scored four frees again yesterday a routine victory again averaging around the 30 points for this year Limerick are 127 they got on, uh, on the game in Mullingar and they'll probably feel again this is just a case of job done for them and now here's another couple of players coming back in who are going to boost the team straight away yeah exactly it they're cruising really at the moment um, particularly Galan coming back now he'll, like, he'll be eager to get in and play any match he possibly can at the moment lay a stake for a jersey obviously he has a head start and other forwards that are there but nevertheless, there's other forwards putting the hand up. Um, I don't think John Kiley has any allegiance to any starting 15 at all. You know, he'll play who the best lads are in training and he'll want to keep it that way to keep the, the bit of hunger and competitiveness within the team. 
But yeah, we talk about other teams getting injuries and losing players. Limerick are picking lads up uh, as they're going at this stage, you know, and the likes of Tim McBurns and these lads. Yeah, and you have the hurler of the year coming back and uh, a lad at this stage last year that we were tipping for hurler of the year coming back, it's 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 huge. I think Westmead even, Westmead look at this, I think it was, you know, they drew the second half, as you were saying, Will, they won the second half against Cork. We said last week they'll, they'll have a few goals, a few targets that they can actually mark for themselves to go, well, actually, you know, we did this quite well without actually obviously beating Limerick. Um, but Limerick are in a very comfortable position. And, you know, a lot of teams have went um, to Westmead and have struggled to get up and going. Okay, got over the line in the end and won quite comfortably. But, you know, Limerick, the games Limerick are expected to win, they, they, those are particularly the games that they don't get drawn into any sort of a needless battle in. They're just so efficient in what they do. Um, so look them going forward now yeah we expect them to beat Wexford who knows who they'll play they just they, they, what they're able to do at the moment and bringing it back to even the loading you see them having just been able to pull back players and hold back lads like their bench was loaded at the weekend with just top quality players but didn't have to bring lads on which again will serve them well going forward that these players have got an extra week rest and every other team is striving to try and do that where they can some teams have done it quite well but if you were if you were had a checklist here of the things that um, teams want to do, Limerick are doing them all as well. You know, even though the argument could be made that Limerick are behind other teams in terms of their own preparation, they would have went back later than other teams. They are still resting players and giving players time to come back and still have that quality to come in off the bench and and, and beat teams at a will. So it's again, I know we said it last week, and we'll be here for a long, a lot, a lot longer uh, over the next few weeks, continually talking about Limerick and the things they're doing right. But you know, last year again, if we take back to last year at this stage, there were some there were some people saying that you know are the wheels coming off the bandwagon, and we saw what happened. Look at this year, they're ticking all the boxes at the moment, and that's considering what they did last year. It's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous place for for every team looking at Limerick at the moment. Yeah, I thought it was going to get messy, Skell, because halftime Limerick were ahead one fourteen to five points. Even nine minutes before halftime, all of their forwards had got on the scoreboard from play, and you're just thinking this could open up. And even Limerick at one stage, I think, were seventeen up in the second half. And I thought at that stage, Aaron Galan was going out to get warmed up. Keen Lynch was going through his stretches, and this party kind of thinking Galan, Heresy, and Lynch are not on the pitch. And Limerick are winning this match by 17 points and they're just going to keep going. But Westmead, to their credit, fought back. Got it back to 12. Niall O'Brien scores a penalty and they kept on kind of chipping away at the score. And as Murph mentioned, it was a draw for the entire second half. But Limerick will probably feel, on reflection, that they'd done so much good work in the first half that it was okay to taper off a bit in the second half. Definitely, yeah. Like, and, you know, we mentioned the Westmead uh, game in Cork and we went to, obviously against Limerick here. But the context of the game probably has a lot to play in it. Limerick were so far ahead, they probably did drop out of a gear or two, and Westmead just kept plugging. And in fairness, they probably, you know, they had their measurables as we said last week, and they'll they'll take great positives like in this that they're they're, they're going toe to toe. They won the penalty because they drove out the Limerick defence, and that's kind of the things they need to keep replicating. You know, and I'm looking over here, I have a jigsaw there. There's thirteen thousand two hundred pieces. That's the amount of times we're going to mention about how good Limerick are this year. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just the way it is. Like, like, there's nothing we can do about it. We're always saying they've an embarrassment of riches. And when you can have a situation whereby you've got Gillan coming back and Jimmy Burns coming back and Lynch on the bench, mother of God. Like, you know, it's, it's concerning for everyone else. Murph, how are you fixed for a join-up? Ourselves and yourselves? I was, <laughs> going to ask you, I was going to say, there's no way you're doing that jigsaw anyway. Whoever bought that, it wasn't you. <laughs> the wife bought for you. I, actually, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a fan of our jigsaw. But this yoke is about 10 square metres. 
<laughs> it's an estimate. Like, I don't know how I'm going to put it. How many did you say? 1,300 pieces? 13,200 pieces, yeah. 13,000, I It's called a masterpiece. Where do you even put that? I, I said I'd have to build an extension. <laughs> I, I don't know where I'm going to put it, to be honest. <laughs> like, I'd have to get a couple of sheets of ply and put it out in the shed. Oh, let, the cow, let the cows look at Let the cows, yeah. Don't, don't talk to no cows, yeah. Broke my heart this weekend. <laughs> See, there's an obvious follow-up question. What did the cows do this weekend? Snow. You think they want to come in over, wouldn't you? You would. So then when I tried to bring them over, they wouldn't come in over. <laughs> and I'm buying myself. If no brothers, wife is not good to me. Like, in that sense, is the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Praise last week. We must mention Mrs. Skell for being so nice and caring and watching on in the yeah. lyre as he had his 40-ounce steak. And now she's taking criticism for not helping with the cows. And the snow was coming down and she could look out the window and she was there saying to me, better you than me. You know, and I come round the field after these cattle trying to get them in for their own good. And no, I got them in eventually anyway. It was just when it was dark. So, anyways, moving on swiftly. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? Mikey um, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Joe Fortune, the Westmead manager, was uh, fairly keen to point out after the game too because some of the uh, credit they were getting for the Cork game the week before was tempered by the fact people were saying, well, you know, Cork ran on some of their second team. He was pointing out just that they have six or seven of their first team players from last year who weren't available. They didn't risk Killian Doyle, his brother Kieran played instead yesterday. Uh, Killian, it seems, going to be okay for the game against Leash, but they didn't want to aggravate anything. And knowing full well they had Leash coming up in two weeks' time, Niall Mitchell is still recovering after he had surgery recently. So that's two of their three best players uh, who weren't available available yesterday and some of the other main players are away as well so big game for them is Leash in two weeks time in the relegation playoff uh, the fixtures in 1A for this coming weekend then you've got Clare against Cork we'll see what kind of team Cork put out in Ennis for that match Clare need to win to have any chance of finishing in the second place they really need a three way tie given Clare's good scoring difference uh, Westmead will play against Galway Scale will be the first to point out Galway will have to run up a big score if they're to turn around that scoring difference situation but they all need Wexford to pull off a shock at the Gaelic grounds against Limerick and Murph I, I don't know if that's going to happen last year Wexford were able to frustrate Limerick that was the first round of the league I would argue that Limerick are not at the same they're at a much better level now than they were when they lost to Wexford at Wexford Park and with those Wexford injuries it's a bit fanciful to think that Wexford are going to win and potentially blow this group wide open on the final day yeah like the dynamic is completely different than this time last year you know um, first round of the league in Welsh Park Wexford having all their all their assets at their disposal or at their disposal, you know, having that what a lot of people would call that hop, I suppose, from a new manager as well, and you know, lots of things there. Um, all Ireland champions coming to town. I think you know Wexford will be looking at this going, uh, you know, first of all, scratching their heads with all their injuries. They're probably going to have to put out a, a team that was closer to what started against Clare, you know, um, with the injuries they, they picked up, um, you know, maybe leech in in the middle of that again. Um, you wouldn't know what way Daregan will manage this one, but no, he can't see where it's going to come from. It's not going to come from anywhere either because Cork or Limerick won't do what Cork did either and turn up flat. Um, you know, even if Limerick play a somewhat of a restrained team or, you know, pull back a few lads, yeah, as we've said, you have lads there who are busting to try and go in and make a point to John Kiley as to why they should be on a championship panel, not to mind a championship team, a championship panel. Um, and even with that, he's probably going to play the likes of Aaron Galan and that and give him Jeremy Burns, get a bit of mileage into their legs. So he will have quality on the pitch. Wexford won't be able to manage that quality, and Limerick uh, will not turn up flat, they won't turn up you know, not looking sharp because they'll all be trying to prove a point as to why they should be on the Limerick team. So, look, this one could could turn into a bit of a runaway. Um, 
because I just think ah, Limerick they just they just are a beast and whatever 15 they put out it's going to be far too strong for Wexford mm-hmm. Skell your thoughts on the fact that Galan has now come back for the end of the league because we Pat Ryan on OTB last week and he said look I had to go meet John Kiley after my indiscretion last year I knew straight away I messed up I rang him the next morning went to meet him ended up and dropped off the championship panel tried to get back in for the league this year and then wasn't selected and was dropped off the extended panel Galam was away from most of the league but has now been welcomed back in for the last two rounds and it seems he's going to be in for the rest of the year does that indicate somewhat that that maybe shows the importance to Galam to the panel as opposed to Pat Ryan who is a three-time All-Ireland winner but an impact sub for the best part yeah, like in fairness, um, I suppose Pat Ryan obviously admitted everything. He, he didn't uh, didn't go into the incident or go into the situation as to why he was reset the panel. But obviously there was a set of ground rules in the Limerick, <clears throat> Limerick setup that were probably broken to a certain degree. It seems like that might be the case for Aaron Galen. We don't know. Um, but it, look, at, I'll be honest here, right? There are certain players in every sport that just carry a heavier weight of importance to a team than others. And that's just reality. You know, if you look at, I would mention Phil Jackson, who used to be the coach coach of the Chicago Bulls and Lakers. He'd very publicly say that Dennis Rodman, he put up with all his antics off the pitch, etc., because he was so important to the team. If if a a mid-road player did that, he'd be gone within seconds. And I just think that maybe Pat Ryan, who I wouldn't call a mid-road player, disrespectfully, I'm trying to be that way to him, but that in terms of when he's going up against the likes of Galan or Hayes, these people... He just carried lesser importance. That's just reality. You know that Galan's top tier, Hegarty's top tier, Hayes top tier, and whether we like it or not, the rules are slightly different to those because the level of importance they carry for a team is higher. And that's just reality. And I know it might be hard to swallow for other members of the panel. There might be a degree of unfairness. They might feel a bit, I suppose, unjustified that this situation is embroiled or has, has, has kind of worked the way it has. Um, but look at that's what every top level team has it I'm afraid to say like Ronaldo gets away with murder etc there's loads of different players in different sports that can just get away with more because they carry you know, a higher level part of the team simple as well, there you go glam back in for a championship and for the last round of the league this coming weekend uh, Division 2A a league where you can't put out dummy teams a league where you can't afford to uh, take the foot off the pedal because there is only one promotion place which is available and therefore you have to go hard at it every week and we've got an intriguing finish to 2A this coming weekend so awfully beat Carlo by 7 points 119 to 112 Owen Cal again very prominent with his scores 11 points in the end Awfully pretty much controlled this game from start to finish they were 11-6 up at the break uh, then Carlo didn't help their chance in the second half because Jim Byrne got a second yellow card Jack Cavanagh got sent off as well uh, Keelan Kiley was then sent off for Offley, so the game finished up uh, with 14 against 13 but Offley spread their scores around aside from Cal nine points during the game David Nally who scored their sideline down in Kerry got the goal in the second half Offley comfortable winners which keeps their 100% start going they're behind Kildare on scoring difference as things stand going into the last game which is Offley against Kildare this Sunday afternoon in Tullamore so a draw would do Kildare to go directly to the final the structure is unusual in 2A but hey that's hurling for you the team who finished in second place will have a home semi-final against the third place team to join whoever finishes top in the final hope that all makes sense Kildare are in pole position a draw would do them against Offaly Kildare beat Kerry again this is a fantastic result for Kildare who are so upwardly mobile on the back of winning the Christie ring 220 to 21 points in the end James Burke again excellent from freeze throughout the day for Kildare they were well ahead at half time 14 points to 6 he got 12 points in the end 10 them freeze Brian Byrne and Jerry Keegan got goals for Lily Whites in the second half 
And they ran out pretty comfortable winners in the end. Shane Conway scoring a lot of the points for Kerry, 10 points. Pork Boyle getting six. But that's back-to-back defeats now for Kerry. And really, they're playing for third place at this stage this coming weekend. And they know that the winners of Offaly and Kildare, or if Kildare get a draw, will go straight to the final. It looks like Down will have probably done enough to stay up because of the scoring different situation. They got themselves a very, very late equaliser in the game. It came from Pierce Oak McCrickard. In the end, it finished up down 23 points. Derry one goal in 20. Looked like Cormac O'Doherty had won the game with a free. He also got the goal for Derry earlier in the game. Derry had their noses in front, but Down got an equaliser late on. So as things stand, because they both picked up a point, head-to-head won't come into it. It's going to be scoring difference so it'll be the scoring difference off the last games this weekend so Carlo will play against Derry Carlo need to win that game against Derry to give themselves a chance of overhauling Kerry down make the trip to Austin Stack Park to play against Kerry where again Kerry will want to win to definitely be in third place and you've got Offaly against Kildare uh, looking at the league table here after the games last weekend it's a substantial scoring difference between Derry and down so Derry are minus 40 down are on minus 21 so Derry are really looking for a favour uh, if they're going to stay up at this stage it looks like it's going to be very difficult for them but that's the way things stand in Division 2A thing is Murph your old buddy David Hardy, you've been singing his praises mm-hmm. and he's got good players to work with there I was talking to Trevor Fletcher at the weekend who was the Chenron manager that lost out to Nace in the Leinster club this year he was talking about how good some of the players are uh, coming through in Kildare at the moment but to be at this point of the league Kildare unbeaten after coming up from playing third flight championship hurling last season this is really really impressive yeah, really impressive. Um, and have made uh, Newbridge or nowhere a small bit of a fortress for themselves now at this stage. So it was great performance. And like, if, if you told us at the start of this year that for this game of Kildare and Kerry, you know, Kerry at the start of this year would have been big favourites for that building on mm-hmm. maybe the last few years and, and the good work down there. So um, big performance. But it was, you know, it was a very strong performance in that they kind of dominated Kerry really coming down the home straight. And the goals they got, you know, they really took them well. A lot of their scores really well worked. Um, there was a great determination about the Kildare team as well. And they were full of confidence. And full of confidence for a team that are after coming up to this level is, is a remarkable thing. So, look, again, my, my good friend David Herity, he's done a great job. He's stuck with this panel. He's with him for a few years. You know, as Kettle was saying, but you don't judge a, a manager in their first year, you know, their second year or so on. But Herity has stayed up there and, and probably could have went on to other jobs, maybe would have got other offers and different things. But, you know, he's stuck with them. But this group of players has really, I suppose, repaid that, that loyalty by putting in savage performances. And look, even regardless what happens from here on, this is a great league for Kildare. Um, And I do think they're not going to sit on this, they're not going to rest in the laurels. To go down and beat Offaly, potentially, would be an enormous marker for Kildare to actually go and say, this is where we are now. I know Offaly won't want that to happen. Offaly will be a very stern test for them, but... I do think the confidence that Kildare have at the moment, this is teed up nicely for Kildare to now go and say, right, we could outright put ourselves down as being one of just the best teams now at the moment in this division. Obviously, they'd finish on top of the bet awfully, but it would be a remarkable story. And I think a lot of other teams might take a bit of hope from that and a bit of guidance that, you know, you can come up and there's a fine line between all these um, divisions. But if you work really hard and you stick to it and you get a bit of shape and structure to what you're doing, you can do remarkable work. But I think the work in Kildare as well is is also bolstered by what they've done at club level and underage level. Um, you know, particularly in Nace, like they, they have done savage work and they're reaping the benefits of it now. So a lot of things have gone well for Kildare, but great position and a huge victory over the weekend. <laughs> now, naturally, like 
I want to wish Kildare well, but at the same time, I want Offaly to win this division and be brought up to Division 1 next year. So, you know, next year, Kildare, that'd be lovely from my own personal <laughs> perspective. But if it was to happen, Skell, whether it's this year or next year, Kildare are clearly like on an upward trend. There's no doubt about this. It'd be quite something if Kildare were to become effectively a new hurling county at the very, very top level if they were to go to Division 1 over the next couple of seasons. But sure, like, in fairness, it'll be amazing progress. And like, if you consider that in, in terms of hierarchy nationally, you know, they're, they're, they're nearly passing out their football counterparts. That's a lot to be said in, in what we've... Not, we won't say grow to accustomed. We know that Kildare is a football-dominated county for, for years. It's just probably on a similar scale to Kerry, to be honest. But for them to kind of qualify and get up through the ranks, through the levels, so they, they, they've done it the right way. They've done it like, you know, Fulham did in soccer. They climbed up along... And, and got into, well, hope, I was going to say hopefully, Mike in the top division. I put that as you will. I won't ask you to call it. <laughs> I was just thinking, Murph, between Paul Meskell and David Herity, jerseys are flying out the door and killing <laughs> <laughs> Herity will tell you he's better looking, though. That's the only thing. <laughs> yeah, but that's the back balance. <laughs> no, but if you look at Will, I know our Colin joking inside, like, there is credit has to go to them. Um, and again, we I think it's been well commented now, even last night, further, furthermore, with Don Logue on how difficult it is to get hurling promoted and get it and, and get it to stick you know every some teams some counties have kind of a you know a year or two where they, they go well and they drop off the scale so I think just what what Kildare have done has just been steady progress there hasn't been major financial input there hasn't been any major recruitment in terms of players it just seems they've grown their own stuck with it and put a process in place and now they're getting what looks like fruits of their labour so credit them yeah I think uh, when the stand is finished in Connets Park, it'd be lovely when that comes back to be able to turn and say, "Here, here's Keane Lynch coming along, or here's the opportunity to see Conor Whelan uh, playing against the Kildare team if that was to happen. So mm-hmm. um, very, very romantic story so far. And David Hardy's done a great job. Let's watch Offaly get promoted instead this year, though. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our lot for episode six of season two of the Hurling Pod, reviewing the weekend's games just gone and looking forward to the final round of the regular section this coming weekend. You should already be subscribed to the Hurling Pod feed. It is the best place to get the pod every week. You can also pick it up in the OTB GA feed. But if you are a Hurling Pod subscriber, it means that you'll get an extra podcast, which this week comes in at around about 40 minutes. That will be available from 10 a.m. on Wednesday. So keep an eye out in the Hurling Pod feed wherever you pick up your podcasts. And it's an extra little encouragement for you to subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed uh, to pick up a bonus episode each week. We'll be back with the regular pod next Monday looking back at the final round of the league chat to you then